What's up everyone? Today I've got a guest that has succeeded in many different places. Uh, and I'm hearing she's a grandmaster of chess, that is. Uh, very, very, very hard to be a grandmaster of chess. But in addition to that, she's a poker player. She succeeded at that, alongside doing a million other things, being a mother, which is a hell of a role, and having two podcasts and writing books, like four books, and TED Talk, and somehow a hula hoop we got into the middle of that too. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So excited. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. It seems like almost impossible to manage all those things at once. What about this Grandmaster thing that I'm hearing? I know you're, you've won two titles in chess. I don't really know a whole lot about chess, but since that's your, your, uh, your biggest focus, I, I'm curious, what was it that, how do you, how do you become a Grandmaster? Well, yes. Yeah, so, so the way you get different titles in chess is um, you have to reach a certain rating and then you also have to earn like uh, Grandmaster norms. So I think I would kind of compare it to like a lifetime achievement. So if you think about it, like lifetime scores could be like a similar thing in poker. So it's not exactly how good you are at the moment, but how well you've done in the past combined with being really, really good. And um, yeah, it's controversial because there's something called like a grandmaster and there's also a woman's grandmaster and people get kind of annoyed that there's these two different titles because women can also get all of the regular titles, FIDE master, international master, grandmaster. Um, so that is a bit of like a, a controversy in chess. Um, you know, chess has got just as many controversies in poker as poker does. Really? In fact, I'm sure you've noticed if you've been following any of like the chess universe for the last few years that uh, poker has nothing on chess when it comes to drama. Really? That's, that surprises me. I, I have not been following chess, but that's a great conversation topic. So, um, my first question is, well, before we get into that, the first thoughts is why don't we have poker grandmasters, but we should have the poker equivalent. Like I, mm -hmm. I propose a super pro, uh, <laughs> a fake pros one, um, or, a, a wannabe pro or like whatever, like something like that. There's a bunch of people that want to be not pros. So I guess like a pro is something where like, it's really, really obvious. And that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, Grandmaster, because poker doesn't have enough respectability. So if you start calling people Grandmasters, <laughs> everybody's going to be like, wow, this is a real this is a real mind sport. They're not just gambling, exactly. gambling away. These are real brains at work. I, I love it. Grandmaster, it's just such a such a beautiful term. You know, Wizard. I also want to segue real quick to the intro because you were saying I do all these things so well and it's funny and it's like amazing how do I have time to do all these things because I think it's actually the first time we met which must have been like a decade ago at the World Series or something you um, found out that I had written like a couple of books and you're like wow you um you must be a lot older than you look <laughs> and I was like that was like that because you, you you heard about like all these I books know, that I wrote so thing to say <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, it is in a twisted way a compliment, but I just can't, it was, it was clear like it, you were just blurting out exactly what you thought, you weren't really thinking. <laughs> I, I don't remember saying that, but I do remember asking your age, or maybe I remember you like being mildly offended at me, but I, 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 that it would not surprise me at all if I said something precisely in that way. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, whoops. Uh, I no, 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 no. But it was funny. Actually, I, I probably pretended I was offended. I, I don't think I was that offended because no. I, I feel like in in I poker, uh, in poker, like books are not. I mean, not everybody really cares if you've written a book in poker. So I was kind of like, oh yeah, like this is somebody who, who thinks who thinks that books are like a marker of intelligence, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I would say that it is. I mean, it's probably a bigger marker of intelligence. Well, different kind of intelligence, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I mean, writing a book is like kind of a big deal. I I don't know if anyone's ever tried to write like a blog post before. Like that by itself, if it's like well thought out, was a hell of an endeavor. And I realized, man, this is just too much work. Um, but writing a whole book is like really a serious effort or what was it not or i should ask you you're the author here you know i've written a few books and i feel like the test books are kind of interesting so i've written like a book that is more um a non-fiction book chess queens where it's about like the great women of chess kind of interwoven with like feminism and history and that was really hard to write because it kind of combined structure research interviews um, and obviously intensive editing. So it was, it was pretty difficult. It took a, a couple years at least. But then I've also, I also wrote a book, which I'm updating now called like play like a girl. And that was a little easier because it, it was more of like an instructional manual. So I, I was like looking at chess games and then pulling out interesting chess positions and like challenging people to solve them. I think that's a little bit easier because it's your, you, the material's out there and you're just kind of like grabbing it and you can kind of do it from home. So it, it does depend a little bit on what type of book you write. Like if you were to just write a book about your hundred most memorable poker hands, um, it might not take you that long if you had like the right person to work with to help you kind of like trans edit your words and whatnot, because you already have those experiences, right? Yeah. You're not like going out there in the world and trying to grab them. That's a fair point. Yeah, I guess it depends on the kind of book uh, for sure. Um, because I guess if you write from your own experience, it's much easier than where you have to do research and make sure you get the facts right. And then when you get into history, it, it goes off in the, all these tangents and that kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah. And also it's just like people are so obsessed with getting better at chess or poker. Hmm. So as soon as you kind of introduce the instructional, like educational element, I feel like the bar is a little bit different. Like it doesn't have to be perfectly written. It just has to be like your brain and like trying to like make them better in some way right okay. so that's why chess books are just like endlessly popular and you know i mentioned my 100 memorable poker hands actually one of the most famous chess books of all time is called my 60 memorable games by bobby fisher oh really and bobby fisher um you know hadn't like studied writing or anything like that but he was actually a really beautiful writer in that book Whoa. and i think it's because the experience of all those games was so intense that he just wrote how he felt and what he was thinking about and that was like you know exceptional writing like new yorker style writing really? because there was no rambling there was no you know dead words unnecessary words he just wrote what happened and it was fascinating so i i feel like there's that corollary in chess and poker that because there's so much concrete and emotional stuff that happens you can become a, a great writer just by pulling it out. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, poker is really quite an emotional experience, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, there's like pretty obvious parallel there. I um, don't know a whole, lot about, a whole lot about chess, but I've heard about Bobby Fischer a bit. He's some kind of genius or whatever, and he always, 
I remember a story I read actually about him that he always lost his dude Gary Kasparov. I think his name was. Well, I think you were thinking about Karpov, maybe, because Kasparov is still with us. He's oh. considered to be like the greatest of all time, alongside Magnus Carlsen. Like those two are the contenders, I would say. Sure. And then Bobby Fischer is dead, and he died at the age of 64. Um, you know, fittingly, 64 squares yeah. on a chessboard. He died. Died very young, oh, kind of um, but Fisher's story was very sad because while he was a great inspiration and kind of created a chess boom, he also um, ended up going crazy and he turned into a raving anti-Semite, anti-American, uh, and uh, yeah, he basically stopped playing chess and went in, was a re recluse for many years until his like young death. That seems so, so strange. What's that? That seems so strange that he would do that. Uh, I'm really curious what drove him mad. Well, yeah, it's hard to tell. I think it, in those days, maybe their, the research on mental health wasn't quite what it is now. And I think also because he was such a great chess player, maybe people looked the other way about some things, you know? Uh, I think that's the risk with a lot of great people, especially great men, that... If they end up being good enough at what they do, people just look the other way. And sometimes it means that, uh, you know, well, we excuse things that shouldn't be excused and also that they might not get all the help that they need, right? So it can work really both ways, really against uh, the person as well. Well, it's the case with anyone that really it has some kind of greatness to them, you can say. It's just really easy to look the other way about some things or just tolerate something. I haven't asked you yet. What's your ELO score? That's what it's called, right? Yeah, 23, like 2330, 2340, something like that. Okay, yeah. I don't know how good that is, but I know that's really damn good. That's that's what I do now. It goes up to 2500 or 3000? Um, nobody's reached 3000 before. Uh, 28, uh, like basically 2880 is the highest ever by Magnus Carlsen, oh. I believe. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I could fact check that, but it's right around 2881, I think. Yeah. Well, what's the right. what's the level when like machines start to like get to this level? Are the machines just three thousand straight up, or like what? Oh yeah, they're definitely they're definitely in the three thousand area arena. I mean, the thing about machines now and artificial intelligence is, for the most part, humans don't really bother like battling against AI because it's it's a bit boring because you know you're gonna lose. And also sometimes the way that they play can be like a little bit less exciting it's kind of cool that if, even if you're playing against a chess player who's like way way better than you there's always a chance that they could blunder right oh, really that's exciting <laughs> like they could just hang the rook right i mean it's not exciting when i'm the better player and i know i might lose like they just hang the rook. and if you're playing against an ai you know that's never gonna happen that's kind of a bummer right? this is such a funny like downside <laughs> if, like an ai machine could like what it somehow want to have a career uh be funny but i don't know how that would even make sense um so what's all this drama that you're talking about in chess because um i would just think that some players are better than each other uh, oh i should mention a story i remember that i thought was crazy so there's this dude he's either gary karparov or gary kasparov and he like never left huh yeah karparov or kasparov yeah yeah he like One never yeah he never lost ever, like ever, almost. And then he played Bobby Fischer, and Bobby Fischer just kept getting smashed by this dude. 
And then one day Bobby Fischer like comes in late and like does all these weird Spassky. things. Huh? Spassky. You're thinking about the world championship match between Spassky, um, Sp Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer, I think. Yeah, yeah. And this guy's like, what's going on? Why is he late? And then all of a sudden he like moves his pawn to the corner and he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and uh, he just, uh, Bobby just does some, some kind of alien strategy and then beats Caspi and blows his mind, and then Caspi, after this, like, one loss, just never mentally recovers, which I thought was insane. I was like, what? Like, it's just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, lost his like, mind because of this one game. I think you're, like, combining the names of all the world champions together. It's yeah, pretty definitely. sweet. It's like... Yeah, it's like chat GBT. A very, very strong player, Carl... Sparrow, Carlson, Sparrow, Spassky. I, I can't even do it. I, that's beyond me. But um, yeah, there is a lot of drama in chess. I think a big reason for it is that chess has really leaned into the attention economy in the last five years, mm -hmm. where you know the top chess players um, are almost invariably also creating content, um, just because it's such an incredible financial opportunity. Yeah. And some players who aren't the top in the world but are very, very good are becoming millionaires from creating content and you know content is obviously more viral when there's a lot of controversy so there's that i think uh that interest in kind of like taking anything that's controversial and really digging through every angle of it mm -hmm. and then also i think chess is dramatic for a lot of the same reasons that poker is you're bringing people from all over the world big egos lots of intelligence a lot of free spirits adventurous people who literally wanted to avoid the nine to five and go out and just like try to become as good as they can at a game and uh, make their money from that, right? So y you get a lot of like, like a lot of stories and a lot of egos from that. Most famously, the one that completely took the world by storm and made all the major papers and CNN and New York Times everywhere um, was about six months ago, the um, cheating scandal where Magnus Carlsen walked away from a tournament, withdrew something he'd never done in his life, uh, and uh, later revealed that he did it because he thought his opponent um, was not playing fair either in that game or in other games. So that, for some reason, just went in insanely viral. It was really surprising, but the story just, like, kept going. Really? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, and that was right before the famous the poker one with like the with Garrett Adelstein and Robbie J. Lou. So they were they were like really like going on simultaneously, and you saw like there was this like this fascination um, of people with games and the people who were the best at them, and also the way that people can game games. Um, that can game games. Ooh, Ooh Gameception. <laughs> Is there is there a game Septicon? Uh, I don't know what that would be, but um, there probably should be a game Septicon. Come to think of it, like why not? Good connect four in there. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw, but there's also a fishing scandal going on too <laughs> during this period. <laughs> I feel like that was the thing about the fishing scandal was that like I feel like that was more open and shut. Like they caught them like stinky handed. <laughs> like they had like. They had the weights in their hand, right? It was really awkward. Whereas chess and poker players are like wizards, you know? They, It, it was like much more complex and intricate, right? If, sure. if there was cheating going on, it was like, 
I, and uh, I, either both cases, like I think part of the fascination was having to grapple with the uncertainty that the smartest people were looking at these things and they're like, well, I don't know. And usually in cases where something really bad happens, you kind of want to know like, well, did they do it or did they not? And it's like, no, actually, you have to live with the fact that you might never know that, right? Whereas the fishing guys, I'm pretty sure they just got that. I feel like I know, but I want to hear your opinion. Okay, okay fair. What, what's your opinion? Um, well, in the case of Hans, I think that it was, it was admitted by him that he cheated online, right? He said, even in the interview right after he said, it was the biggest mistake of my life, I cheated online when I was 16. So it was already like a fact. That he cheated at some point mm-hmm. oh, okay. and magnus of magnus of course and many other people were like but how much so it was it was always a question of how much and whether it ever happened like in real life or irl i mean we spend so much time online to me like the distinction is very blurry so that was like kind of my perspective like how different is it really it is different because you know especially very young people um can be online and, and remember it's not like poker there's not a lot of money on online chess uh, especially like up until a few years ago but way more glory exactly see that's what and and, you know it's funny we're actually like-minded on that i to me i'm i'm like because the chess world has shifted to an attention economy to me cheating online is really bad because you're obviously going to grab a lot more attention if you raise your rating so i'm like i don't think we really need to prove that somebody cheated live we can just say like cheating online, we need to be more strict about that in the future because it really sucks because people are getting like million dollar sponsorships these days in, in chess. So obviously the incentive to cheat will go way up if you think that if you're really good online, um, you'll be more likely to get sponsorships. That's an interesting point. Um, that's an interesting point. I want to revisit that in a second. Um, do you want to give an opinion on the Robbie Jade Lude thing? I'm not, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I, have you spoken about it? I never saw anything from you. I haven't spoken anything. I think, well, basically, this is what I think in a nutshell. I think, like, you know, like, maybe whatever, like, she just, like, got flustered emotionally. She's an emotional person. And somehow, you know, at, having playing like, the biggest game that she's ever played, she made a ridiculous call for Jack High and, uh, and didn't really understand what was going on. That being said, uh... I think that when we combine that, first of all, once she, once this dude stole 10% off her stack, for me, it was like, that just like skewed the line, like massive to the other. Yeah, yeah, very weird. That was like, and then she lied about knowing him. That's bullshit too. Like this just makes like, this just, this skews it massive. I think people are not paying enough attention to that specific criteria of data because no one ever, 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 ever steals off your stack it does not happen um and then uh on top of that her reaction her reaction is really unnatural um like i had someone make an insane call against me on the hustler stream and they you know they were really stressed and they were losing and they like took a lap around they called their friends and all this stuff and they're like not really pro and she's just like talking shit to like one of the best players ever and acts like it's not really a big deal, um, which is very strange to me. Uh, but that by itself is not enough to prove it. But that's my rough perspective. Well, I, 
I can give you my opinion that, that you know, I don't think she, I'm going to be honest, at this point, I don't think she cheated because I really feel like something else would have come out by now, especially since there are some people who are really interested in it. But I, I think I have a theory that might explain everything. All right. Well, I, 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 what if she didn't cheat, but she was thinking about cheating? That would kind of explain everything, wouldn't it? That would explain why she was like a little flustered after, why she gave the money back, you know? Because there's still that guilt. Um, what do you mean thinking about cheating? How would she like contemplate cheating? You know, like thinking about it. And, and but I think that, uh, imagine if you thought, if you were thinking about doing something bad, maybe you even started planning it. You could feel guilty even if you didn't actually go through with it. Cause that would, that would explain some of the very strange behavior and like the lies, but then also explain why like nothing ever else came out about it because it's true that she didn't cheat. Um... Well, there were some things that came out. I just don't know the veracity of them. I, uh, you know, thinking about a thing, I mean, maybe this could make sense. I, I don't really understand this person enough just, just because I'm not the kind of person that would be, like, so emotional that would, like, do things. Like, that's, like, the opposite of how I am. Um, so I wouldn't be able to comment so much on, like, that perspective from, from what I know. But, uh, I mean, I could see hypothetically someone feeling guilt if they had, like, a, if they just happen to be a really good person um, in this kind of way. I mean, this person, this sort of psychology, I think, would tend to be more prone to lying to themselves as well if they were a bad person. I think that would be a more common behavior, but this is me just talking out of my ass, just because they're, I, I'm just thinking that they wouldn't have the strong logic in the background that, like, anchors them towards truth because, um, I'm just thinking it's the opposite of myself. But anyway, yeah, maybe, I guess, uh, it could explain some guilt. Uh, I mean, if you want to explain more about it, go ahead. If not, we can move on. Well, I did want to say that I bought my son a game called Cheater's Monopoly. <laughs> what? This is a yeah, game. He's, only, he's only six. He loves the game. So the game of Cheater's Monopoly is that there's these rules, like, that they explain the rules that you can cheat in. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> rules. What does this make sense? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, you can change your rules now. But this I know, right? But it's really weird. Like, no. So you can <laughs> you can play you can steal money from somebody's stack basically in Cheaters Monopoly. But if somebody catches you, like if they see you cheating, so they do have this kind of good device. <laughs> so you have to roll. So like my son, my son, like suppose he steals money from like his friend and then it's my turn and I roll the dice before anybody notices he stole the money. Then he just gets the money. That's it. Okay. Yeah, but so is this a bad game for children? I mean, I was thinking about it. Is this a bad game for children or is it good because it shows them the truth? I mean, it's probably more realistic than most Monopoly games, right? This is kind Most of Monopoly, like, you play by the rules and you become super rich and you own all these houses and hotels. Whereas, like, the reality is that a lot of people who've gotten rich at some point have broken some kind of rule or twisted some kind of rule or broken some kind of trust. I mean, of course, people can get rich completely playing by the game, but a, a, a lot of the times that's not the case. So um, this, is like, this is, like, the real deal. Well, uh, I've got a few thoughts on that. First of all, my first thought is... I mean, like, there's a real irony here. Like, we're calling this game Cheater's Monopoly, but all we've done is just made more rules. So now it's yes. just... 
it's true. a new monopoly. It's not really Cheaters Monopoly. It's a new monopoly. And then, like, I find it incredibly ironic when, uh, and this is the problem with cheating, by the way. This is one of a massive, massive problem with it, within it actually happening. So there's, like, this idea of, like, honor among thieves, right? But, like, who is, like, really, like, um, I don't really know a whole, I don't have a whole lot of experience in, like, the underworld, so I don't really know. It's not really my kind of place. Um, but, like, it's just really funny when, like, these people, like, are deciding, okay, we're going to work together, but we're going to fuck over those guys. But, like, where's the line all of a sudden where between, you know, those guys and not those guys, right? It's just really funny to, like, cheat the shit out of someone else and cheat the shit out of a bunch of other people, but then, like, not expect someone to cheat you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, if we're, we're doing this cheating thing, Where's the line? Is there a line? Like, why why not move the line further, right? Now now you're the smart one, right? Uh, if you're the super cheater, you're, like, ahead of the game. You're like, oh, no, I'm going to cheat the person before they cheat me. And you might be worried that they're going to think the same thing. Like, oh, fuck, maybe they're going to cheat me, too. i got to cheat them first. Um, and then, uh, and then, do you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I can see how that game could be, like, really dangerous. But I actually, you know, the weird thing is... I feel like my son, who's six now, he just turned six, he used to cheat more in games, like just, you know, and we told him, you know, you can't, if you cheat, you lose. Cheating means you lose. Um, it's worse than um, losing because you just get kicked out and maybe you don't even get to play again. Uh, but at, since Cheaters Monopoly, he's really been on the up and up. In fact, he played in a chess tournament a couple of days ago and um, I'm sure you're aware of this rule in chess called touch move. Have you ever heard touch move rule? Just touch move, right? So what touch move means that if you touch a piece in chess, you have to move it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a very lots of famous scandals around this as well, um, including one between like the top player in the world, Gary Kasparov, versus a top female player in the world, Judith Polgar. I write about that in my book. Um, you can look at it there. But uh, touch move. He wants to play his knight, right? But he's moving his hand and he touches his king. So he moves his king on the second move of the game. And it's like a horrible move. He's going to get checkmated for sure like five moves later, right? Hmm. Um, it's actually been popularized as an internet meme, like the bomb cloud opening when you just move your king in, the, in like the first, the first chance you get. Yeah. Um, so, but he didn't really have to move it because it was like kind of like he grazed it like that. Like it wasn't, it's not like, it's not like he really had to move it. So I was like, wow, like he's actually going above and beyond now. And I wonder if like learning about cheating within the system where it's part of the rules kind of like actually made him more honest. Cause it seems like ever since we played that Monopoly game, it's gone in that direction. Oh, you're saying it did make him more honest. I thought you said, yeah, I, think so. computer. I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I think so, it has, yeah, I think so. But you it could just be a coincidence, because, like, he's six now, and he was five, and, you know, kids, I think childhood is a lot about kind of, like, learning what you can get away with, and what will, you know, get you the results that you want, and what yeah. will make people not want to play with you anymore, right? Well, so yeah. it could just be a natural progression, but it is kind of interesting. Um, actually, it gave me a lot of ideas. Uh, so this is, by the way related to a bit of a problem of mine that I've been thinking about is like, how do we use games to educate people? And you sort of answer this question. 
And with regards to cheating, you, you said that, yeah, in life, people can, like, get away with it. Um, and, like, often people get rich by cheating, which, sure, that, that has to be true, right? That's, that's, the pay, that's the payoff. Like, from my point of view, cheating is... Um, now, there's a question that is begged by cheating, but, but cheating is basically we're breaking the rules, and we're basically saying, f*** the rules, f*** the system, uh, and I don't care about the rules, blah, blah, blah. So now I'm going to, like, get this, like, uh, this material thing and screw all these other values and screw all these other people over. And, and you're saying, okay, this material thing is worth more. Uh, this is essentially what you're saying. You're, this material thing is worth more than all those other values are worth to me. Like, friendship, whatever, potentially, if you're screwing over your friends. Some people don't have that, that uh, barrier or they'll screw over people they don't know or I don't know where the line is there. Like, who's your friend, who's your not? But, you know, whatever. Like, they, get, they think that that works or that kind of thing. Now, this can be gamified. And my personal theory is that basically, I mean, this is what karma suggests, um, and these religions essentially suggest, is that in the long run, and on average, cheating does not help you win. And um, what it could be shown is essentially that cheating is like... Mm, it's like uh, it's playing something like um, I, it's hard to think of exactly the right casino game, but my the idea would be playing something like uh, something like a game where there's enormous downside if you're caught, uh, and there's no um, quite big upside or big upside a lot of the time if you're not caught, uh, and like this can be gamified, um, and yes, it makes sense that. You know, within any lifetimes, it makes sense to that cheaters would like if we're just optimizing for this metric, this parameter of money, that cheaters would like win in this big way. But as you mentioned and you alluded to, that glory is something that can be useful too, and there's long-term possibilities that they're not necessarily considering, such as like you know if you're cheating online or or you're cheating uh, live. You, you would be do far better to like actually get good and, and you know get a sponsorship or whatever mm -hmm. now these days like that would actually make you more money in the very long run although cheating would make you uh more money in the short run um right yeah i agree with that i mean i completely agree i mean i think cheating and anything you do like that is in violation of your integrity is really um, damaging if you want to be in the same career for a long time. I mean, especially now in this world of like social media where things can follow you around for such a long time. I mean, think about all of the people who are just living in fear of all the emails and chat logs getting revealed where they used um, a word that they regret. And, you know, it's just, it's something now you just have to, you have to really be true to your values and, you know, try to err on the side of integrity, both because you know, hopefully there's a lot of great people out there who want to do that, but also even from a practical point of view, it seems like it, uh, has increased in value. I think I really do. Well, it's, Just because it's easy to look things up now. It's so easy to look things up. Like if somebody did something, of course there are exceptions There are exceptions of people who are really good at like jumping from one world to the next and maybe like cleaning their search, um, histories up there, especially if somebody has a lot of money, it can be easier to just like jump around. But like overall, for for most people, I think it pays to be uh, to be good.
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a much more reliable route, and it's really hard to, like, quantify the unknown. Um, it, it's really hard to quantify the unknown. Like, it's really hard to say, okay, like, it's never going to be the case that that this information is not going to come out, right? It's really hard to quantify, okay, no one's ever going to, like, release the emails, or you're never going to leak in this kind of way, or that kind of thing, or no one's never going to say anything about anything kind of situation. There's a lot of, like, exponential threats, uh, in a, a number of the things that you do, especially when you're not true to your values. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest, that's a necessity actually, is there's a lot, there's many exponential threats, particularly when you do cheat, even if you cheat in a strategic way, and the implications that has on the system on the whole are not good. Um, this is stuff yeah. I happen to think about a lot. But you, it looks like it, you created a way for people to learn through chess, I understand. Um, so yeah, I did. Uh, well, I do a lot of chess. Uh, I don't do a lot of chess private coaching, but I do a lot of work with girls and women where I try to use chess as a way for them to like not only get better at the game, but also to feel more confident. I, I think just like poker, I think they're both really, really great games for life skills. But obviously for kids and girls, I teach them chess because poker is for, for grownups. And I think like both games are like the greatest. I think there's a reason why they're they're more popular than ever, even though we're in a world of like Elon Musk like is constantly going on Twitter to troll chess. I mean, he owns Twitter now. So I'm surprised that chess still does so well in the algorithm. Like chess is like tops on the algorithm, right? But that said, um, Elon's like, why do people even play chess anymore? Like we have video games. Like literally he's tweeted that multiple times. Uh, and you could say the same thing about poker. Like, why do people play poker? This game's so old. We could play, like, you know, all these new games. But, of course, there's reasons for both that people actually looking for simple games. They're looking for games with history so that you can kind of, like, look back and see the greats of the past and see how the game has developed. Like, that's actually really interesting and kind of attracts more types of people and allows you to become kind of, like, part of that lineage. And that's exciting, right? The records that you can be. If a game's been around for five years, I mean, sure, you can beat records and that's exciting, but it's not quite the same as like joining a Hall of Fame, right? Uh, so I think there's a lot of reasons both games are, are enduring in their popularity. And it's very, also because both have so much to teach people about themselves. Um, in chess, a lot of it is you have to learn to like, make your own decisions and to live with them um how hard it is you know how hard it is to get better self-improvement in chess is like really difficult hmm. um for girls i really love it because it teaches them to kind of lean into their killer instincts and that it's not a bad thing and it teaches them to forget the world around them and like just get into the flow which is probably one of the most valuable skills you can have right now with like the social media companies like getting the greatest brains in the world to try to constantly distract us. So if we can like play chess and poker and get away from that for even like an hour, that gives us like a huge advantage. Um, so that's what chess teaches us. And then poker, I feel like it teaches you about your relationship with money. And for most people, how f***ed up it is. <laughs> so they're, they're, I think both of them are just like endlessly uh educational and that it's not an accident that we're in 2023 in the age of so many video games and people are still coming back to both of them i mean i think this is a huge subject uh the biggest question is 
how like how and i should ask you this like how are you using it as a learning tool to make sure people improve at these things especially with poker um like this is one thing that i contemplated was like you know people can become degenerates at poker they can like they can learn the opposite lesson yeah um, that's true that's true there always be outliers but like yeah the idea is how do you get them to learn the good lesson um same with chess i presume there's probably there's got to be parallels where people are um i don't know like uh, people are doing things that aren't necessarily good like if they uh if someone leans too much in their into their killer instinct instinct for example that can be it can be it can be bad like i think uh i would say women are quite good at leaning into their killer killer instincts and in dating specifically but so are men uh <laughs> yeah of course we're still speaking metaphorically because when you're speaking literally men are, are almost always the killers but yeah uh, that's true of yeah. course we were speaking metaphorically but yes like i i mean i, I guess what i'm saying is that like Killer, killer instinct, um, meaning like leaning into the regression, not not being shy about it. Oh. Can that go too far? Yes, because you could end up like sacrificing all your pieces and then having none left, right? So it can go too far within the confines of the game. Obviously, it can go too far in poker. That's why it always pisses me off when people are like, women are less suited for poker because they're not aggressive enough. Come on. How many men have just lost all their money quickly because they... They are way too aggressive. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, by the way, this goes back to the, like the same parallels in real life. I mean, I think this is a huge subject because like if you're too aggressive, like there's many parallels in real life, like literal killing is actually one of those parallels. And in fact, if you look at history, you can see people that were too aggressive, essentially, and they like looked like they're winning, like Cesare Bourgeois was a savage as shit. He was like this dictator of, uh, this famous dictator of, um, of Italy, I think, uh, think or monarch, whatever it was, but he would like straight up like kill his enemies or like manipulate them in a meeting and just kill them off. There's a famous story where someone tries to make peace and he invites this person's family and and invites them all at dinner, and the the other guy's just trying to make peace and he just like savagely slaughter, slaughters them all like publicly, uh, like. But then basically what happens is you know you can't really. The problem is there's too many people out there and the people like are now become afraid and then he essentially created so many enemies that they all kind of swarmed in against him right um this is a way of being like even though he was smart and too aggressive it, you just couldn't fade the like exponential risk um of doing that and, and there's all kinds of ways in which that plays out through uh i mean in poker there's many parallels right like you could easily like be three betting every hand or whatever i mean this would be like being aggressive in a dumb way and mm -hmm. i mean someone could just like not you know raise preflop and like automatically just start to start destroying you i mean this would be the equivalent of like yeah just being super aggressive in like creating a company or just putting in a ton of money just trying to make a ton of money really fast fast uh, cash quick scheme kind of thing i guess is i mean it wouldn't be that hard to draw like more uh, more detailed parallels, but I do think, I do think like there's the other line too, where someone isn't taking opportunities and I could see how that would, would be really valuable. If someone's like shyness is holding them back. Whereas like, you know, the opportunities pass you by and it ends up crushing you later kind of thing. 
Right. Totally. I, I agree completely. It's like, um, in poker, there's a way where you can just lose all your money slowly. Right. And then you could lose all your money quickly. And I think there's corollaries to that in life as well, that if people are like putting all their money in savings accounts, like obviously they will lose their money over time to inflation. Right. Cause they're, they're whatever percentage they're getting on savings is not going to be able to beat the increasing cost of living, especially as they get older and have more like healthcare and childcare costs and stuff. So yeah, it is a really, there's a lot of really beautiful corollaries. I mean, it makes sense. Like that poker is a very simple game. That's all based around like money and desire for it and fear of losing it. Right. So that's like exactly what we deal with in our lives. Yeah. Why don't you talk, um, what kind of parallels did you find to be most useful for, uh, teaching chess to, are there any particular lessons that you found to be most impactful for teaching uh, women in chess or just teaching a period, that kind of thing? Because I guess I guess the, the more lessons might be more impactful depending on the gender, right? I, I don't know. I feel, I, this is just an area that I'm interested in. Well, I think in chess, because the, the title of my next book is Thinking Sideways, and I feel like in chess one of the biggest life lessons is that uh, you have to look like more horizontally than vertically. So a lot of times in chess, the great players will see an option that their opponent didn't see, but it won't be like, you know, six moves ahead. It'll just be like right in front of you. Really? So yeah, we, we sometimes we call these like in-between moves. So it might be like, you know, move two on the variation, right? So it's more of like, like a thick branch than it is like a, like a bush, as opposed to like looking like 10 moves ahead. Because the, the truth is, even if you're the, one of the greatest chess players in the world, if you look 10 moves ahead, the chances that you miss something like on a branch is very, very high. I would compare that to like trying to plan 10 years ahead. Like what are the chances, especially in our modern world where things are like going so quickly and there's so many unexpected events related to like climate change, you saw COVID, like, just very surprising things that happen, money changing. So uh, if you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do exactly for my next 10 years, like there's a good chance it's just going to all be like uh, plans that didn't materialize. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, if you can kind of be more flexible in the short term, and that that is the way that a, a lot of great chess players think. And I definitely see this in, in everyone's games, you know, completely new players to... Um, very advanced players that they miss these types of in-between moves. Yeah, that actually I think is a really useful lesson. Now I think about it, and this applies to poker a lot, I think as well, to really a lot of things. I mean, there's been all, all kinds of times. It applies to business for sure. Did you ever read this book called Range? I did. I love that book. Yes. By uh, David Epstein, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a really yeah. good book. Actually, like a couple poker players have read that book too. But it talks kind of about this. Um, it uh, talks about how like how solutions to problems can kind of, kind of come out of directions that no one ever imagined because they're all because oftentimes companies and poker players as well, and I, I presume chess players will get too caught up in this like all these little mm -hmm. details over here down this like down this tree, but forget about branches in a totally different direction. Exactly. And you know, the cool thing about that book is that it actually mentions chess quite a lot, but it's funny because it uses chess as a counterpoint to its main thesis. So I would say if you haven't read range, it's fantastic. Um, it's great for parents. It's great for adult learners. But one of the main points of the book is that you shouldn't try to over-specialize 
because you would be surprised at how often if you study something that's totally outside your field, you will get some kind of idea in your main vocation from it. So like if you study painting, somehow you're going to be like inspired by some of the ideas like to, um, you know, become a better a financial analyst. And he gives tons of great examples of this happening. And then he says like the one exception, the one exception to all this is chess. Like you literally will not get better at chess by doing anything but that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean I don't think that's completely true, but it's a lot more true than it is for other things. Yeah, I would think that chess probably has a lot of parallels, and I've heard that it does. Has has it helped you a lot? What has it helped you the most with with uh, in your life? Mm, chess. Hmm. I guess just being friends with different types of people and like therefore having like a wider perspective. Huh. I think it probably. Probably if it wasn't for chess and poker, I feel like I'd probably have like a more homogenous like uh, thought as like my friends would have like more homogenous like political viewpoints and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that it's kind of useful. Just a different, the many, many different types of people you meet and the way that it kind of forces you to think outside your box as a result, because we're, we're not shared by like uh, any kind of like common belief system or geographical um, commonality. It's like, it's shared love for a game, which is very different. It really brings people from everywhere, um, both in chess and poker. So I think that what you guys do share is that you're willing to be, two things come to mind, is firstly that you're willing to be unconventional and you don't care so much about convention. This is actually kind of a rare trait because a lot of people have this tendency to follow whatever's popular. Um, and then secondly, um, secondly, the, something like the want to do something to take action, which is also not necessarily popular. There's lots of, there's lots of people that like to just relax and this sort of thing. Uh, and it, maybe even a third thing now that I'm thinking about it, that could be related. Uh, I don't know if everyone has this tendency or not within poker. It'd be interesting to check and see. But to want to aggrandize, to want to be expansive uh, and build like a career, a legacy, and all of that, I think um, those things. Uh, playing games has those things in common. Yeah, the the unconventionality. I agree with you about that. That's that's for sure. And I, I think that maybe that's another reason why in the aggrandizement, and maybe that's another reason why games like chess and poker are rising in popularity. Because I think there is like this greater need and thirst for like a trophies for adults, hmm. you know, trophies for grownups, because, you know, everybody wants more likes and hearts and, you know, uh, winning, like <laughs> winning, like some poker tournament and getting a trophy for it, like gets you that it gives you that like adrenaline rush. It's not all about the money. It's about competing as a grown up and getting a trophy. Just like when kids competed, when they were kids or get an A in a class, like, that kind of like positive reinforcement, I think people want even more now because they're online and they're seeing everybody else get it. And maybe, maybe you're on something. Maybe there's a growth in that tendency in people because a lot of people have lost meaning in their lives. Have you ever heard of this book called The Status Game? I think I've heard of it. That one I haven't read. Well, The Status Game goes into the psychology of this and goes into the psychology of extreme cases like Ted Kaczynski and there's this other one and like serial killers, for example. But basically, a lot of people who, well, 
a lot of what happens to these people is they've lost meaning in their lives, and that's how they end up going down those sorts of routes. Basically, like, Ted Kaczynski was, like, socially rejected in, and, like, laughed at in, like, high school. And, it, and basically, the irony, and what I found to be really interesting was that he sort of made his own kind of game, in a way. And he was able to find a way to find status. I mean, you can see this also in the movie of the Joker, where these guys would find status in their own kind of unique way because they're just like totally rejected by the system. And it turns out that games actually give a lot of people like these means of finding some kind of purpose in their life, if this makes sense, like video games even, and gives a lot of children like something to work toward. And it also is, and perhaps this is a reason why like much of crimes, etc., cetera, are, are paradoxically inhibited by violent video games. At least I remember reading this. And oh, then... really? Yeah, I've read both studies. I, I don't, I'm not an expert in the field, so I don't know which, how to parse it, but that's cool that you read the, uh, the one where playing violent video games makes you less violent. I hope that's true. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but I hope it's true. Because I think uh, that the video games are only getting more popular, so obviously we wouldn't want that to be true, right? Right, right. Well, a lot of people have a need to achieve, achieve some kind of status, and like many of these games create kind of outlets for that. Um, yeah. Which also would be part of the keys, I think, to getting people off of being too obsessed with them, which is a downside potentially if like someone ends up like forfeiting many other aspects of their lives for the sake of, like... I mean, I, I fell into this category. I like got obsessed with video games when I was younger. It can be... It's, it, I mean, there are healthier options than video games. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's such a tough one. You know, I feel like, because my son's already starting to play some video games, and I, I wonder how important it is to just, like, talk to people about how there's aggression and violence in the games, and it's, like, could be fun to do it, but it, it's fun because it's fake, because it's not real, because nobody's actually getting hurt. Like, everybody's actually a net winner because everybody's kind of having fun. Obviously, the people who are winning are having more fun. People who are losing, though, are not actually getting hurt. So it's like they're netting, like, you know, average, whereas the people who are winning are feeling really great. And, like, that, that's what we want from a game, especially, like, a, a violent, um, you know, fake game. And I, I hope that that's possible. And I wonder how much you just have to be intentional and conscious about, like, that's what you're doing. Does that help? But, yeah, it seems like there's probably a lot of room for studies there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how people are, like, making sure it's, not real it doesn't seem like people consider it too real um oh i want to add uh it's interesting that you said that poker and chess helped you to expand your the number of people that you talk to because i feel like a lot of people in poker um kind of go the other way in that they have homogenous friend groups and they talk about like a hand that they played and blah 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 uh, i mean do you have any ideas to make sure they don't go in that particular direction um or at least maybe not even maybe i'm even thinking too linearly myself as i as i say this perhaps it's not so much about not so much about making sure that they do that but giving them the right options or nudging them in the right directions if, if you see what i'm if you see the subtle That's so true. you're so right it's it, of course it's a different experience for me because i'm like you know i've always been one of the 
like in the less represented category as a as a female whereas for a lot of poker and chess players it's kind of the opposite that there's more people like them around that's a really good point and i guess yeah obviously that goes back to something i feel really passionately about that they should try to bring women in to the game because that's really really lacking i think i in agree the spheres. i agree <laughs> less fun and also just the energies are just like uh it's very very just male energy all the time and i think it just needs to be like more mixed up so yeah. how does that start that a lot of the men who are in the game have to invite their like female pals or you know sisters and stuff like my brother taught me how to play poker or kind of brought me into the game so i think that that's a really good way um a good way to kind of like diversify it to start with yourself add women to your like chat groups especially if they're like it's a strategy chat group because one thing i notice in poker that bugs me is it feels like a lot of men they just have these like big chat groups with other men and they discuss really valuable information in those chat groups like about um player tendencies new strategies new solvers um and so i think that uh if you're not including women in them women are always going to be behind men right so that's important to include them or you know i, I boys only club <laughs> yeah or, or or the women will create their own and and then you guys are gonna get fall behind <laughs> oh that'd be funny that's funny it's making a, oh there's kind of a thing like that there's uh that's what she said it's like a women's only group i've like dove in there a little bit and see what there are a lot of these about. days victoria Livshits just started one there's like poker power which i'm on the board of there's there's a bunch of different women's groups. Not all of them are like talk about poker strategy. Some of them like talk about like different tournament leagues and stuff. But there are a lot of them. But I, I would say obviously most of the high stakes ones are just completely men. And it it's understandable they're trying to make money. That's their business. But um, you see that kind of echoing in other worlds, like in tech, that so many of the richest and most powerful people in the world are male. And I think a lot of it is also that that there's like these little clubs. And people want people like themselves in the clubs and they tell the secrets and invest in those people. And then of course it's going to become like, uh, impossible to break through. Right. Yeah. Uh, I am a little curious by the way of these, uh, girls only clubs. I don't, I think it's kind of funny to be the token outlier person as well, but I'm curious what they talk about in these sorts of things. And I have wondered why groups are so homogenous. I suspect that there's weaknesses in them. I mean, I wouldn't be able to say what the weaknesses would be in like big tech or anything like that. And uh, really kind of related to all this. Yeah, like how would you suggest bringing more women into poker? I mean, one thing is just making sure guys don't act like dicks, of course. I mean, these behaviors should be sharply chastised in my opinion or really sharply punished in some kind of way corrected some kind of way effectively um i mean one is to like not let them be too afraid of of these sorts of situations because definitely uh, there's plenty of guys that are not very good at poker i can promise that i think being in a group where it's all men um should be weird so you shouldn't have to be like a you know a professional feminist to say well we you know if this is about intellectuals and um you know polymaths there has to be women here because you need like that diversity of thought but you also need like diversity within the group to see all the different perspectives 
So yeah, speaking up about it, I think is really powerful, okay, especially as a man, because a lot of times it's it's women or you know if it's a group that's underrepresented in another way, a lot of times it's people of color who are then given that burden to like bring it up. But if somebody's bringing it up from the inside, uh, that's actually really really helpful. Totally. Uh, and I think what you said about not tolerating BS at the table is a good one, mm -hmm. for sure. Well, and the guys should speak up if there is BS at the tables because they're the ones, it's like the, from the inside as well. Whereas, like, you know, it's much more powerful coming from that position than, like, you know, the person trying to defend themselves. It's, like, uh, it's more of a collective effort of sorts. Um, but I'm happy to help with things like that for sure. Uh, I think there's something that's harder to change, and I don't 100% understand it, but there's like an air of like seriousness and competitiveness, competitiveness that not only alienates women, but alienates everyone that's not like willing to compete a lot of the time. But people are like realizing, okay, you know, especially at high stakes when you start realizing, okay, if you want to get invited to games, you can't just be serious and boring. Yeah, so that should be good for women. Yeah. Yeah. It should be good for women. But I think there's a lot of things that are hard to change from the poker world. You're right. It, you can't, there's the wealth gap and the wage gap. You know, women have less money, they have less wealth, which I think is actually way more important. I think this focus on wages is obviously really key because we can like change it more quickly, maybe. But I think the when you're talking about something like poker or like, um, investments, obviously wealth is way more important because uh, wages are temporary. If somebody has wealth, then they can just do whatever they want. They can play poker, lose money, make it back, right? So not only do women have uh, less money per hour, they also have less wealth, which is huge. Um, that's, a, that's not something you can wave your wand and be like, okay, there's tons of women in poker now. We can just fix that because that's like obviously like a much, much bigger problem. And then there's also like the um, child care, elder care, emotional labor. Women are doing do way much more of all of that stuff. And it, it even comes back to something you were saying earlier about how would you even want? Because I think sometimes we ask the wrong question. Like if you ask a question, how do we get more underrepresented people in poker? Like women, gender minorities, people of color. Maybe that's not really the right question because... The first question should be, is poker a game that will enhance the lives of the people that are underrepresented in poker? Like, that's the first question. Because it's not like, of course, if you're like trying to market your events, you want there to be more diversity. But if you really want, um, you know, to make the world better, and I think poker can do a lot for a lot of people, uh, but you want to make sure that you're at doing more good, not damage. So it's also just about making the poker world more amenable. And there's a lot of things I think we can do there. For sure. Um, like, like what? Most tournaments. Well, most tournaments are very grueling. I don't think they fit most people's schedules very well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think they're just geared towards the people that are playing in them now, which is understandable from like a business point of view. But then, from a growth perspective, and from the perspective of like trying to enhance lives through poker, you, you know, you might want to look beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, they may just be like legit inconvenient to play. I mean, they're inconvenient for me. I'm like thinking, how do I schedule around this? Um, I mean, what other ways do you think poker can uh, benefit uh, society? By by opening people's eyes to um, the dangers of late stage capitalism, because I think that poker um, shows us how 
we judge people for not having a lot of money. Like one big one, which thank God people are saying less now because they're not as un, they're not as like unaware about like ICM. But I used to remember when I played in tournaments and somebody would have like a small stack, like one to, especially like one to five big blinds. People would say like, I would never let myself get that low. What? And it's ironic now because we, we see people like Stevie, like all these high rollers now, like intentionally leaving one big blind behind because of the Annie and the ability to like run it up quickly. That's so funny. But I, I think it's funny because it reminds me so much of like minimum wage where people are like, I would never let myself get to the point where I couldn't make my car payment. I would never let myself get there. And it's like, you see this in poker and this is happening in real life also. And it should be an eye opener. Also to be an eye opener that the concentration of wealth goes to like the very, very, very top players, which is surely good for somebody like you. But obviously when we're talking about like the real world, at some point, you know, people should be able to have healthcare and like education. So if we just let things go completely unregulated, we see what happens. The rich get really rich because they have all the best information and they hoard it and share it amongst themselves. And the middle gets kind of cut out. And we've seen this in revved up fashion in poker in the last 10 years. And it's a warning sign. It's a warning sign. So, okay, well, there's a couple follow-up questions to that. Is one, um, what would be, one would be, what do you think in poker is contributing to that effect? And what, uh, what downsides do you foresee? And let's start with that question, because the next question is... Um, even more. Well, I think that's probably the reason there's so many bounties now because people, people have realized that flattening payout structures out a lot. And you know, it's also moved, there have been counters to this and it's still the case, right? So why is it that MTTs are now like 15 to 20%? Well, not usually 20, actually I'm playing in the poker stars players championships next, next week and there's no rake. And, um, there is a small, um, staff fee, but there's no rake and they're paying out 20% of the field because there's so many like, uh, like new players and amateurs that getting your buy-in back is like amazing. So that's interesting that we've moved from like, from like, what was it used to be 10%, sometimes even 8%. And we've gone to now 15 to 20%. This is like trying to correct for the fact that if we don't do this, you know, all the money funnels upward. Um, but in um, bounties, I guess do the same thing. Okay. There's a lot of other reasons that these, um, these, uh, elements in tournaments are happening. It's not the only reason. But I, I just think when I look at it from a metaphorical point of view, it's really interesting. It's really interesting, the rise of like super high rollers and all of this and how it kind of mirror, mirrors the way that the world is getting super rich and also in slicing out the middle. Well, it'd be interesting to see how the dynamics of the world becoming super rich ends up hurting. I mean, that's the assumption is that it, it ends up hurting the rest of everyone else. I personally suspect that that's true. I don't know it for sure. Maybe you have some insight on that, uh, as well as in the real world. Like, I think this is a very interesting subject. Like, this is just something that I happen to believe. I just happen to believe that the more everyone is supported, the more the whole system benefits. I agree. I mean, I'm, I think the rising inequality is, is definitely dangerous. I mean, there, I, I also don't think that everything is a zero-sum game. So somebody could become extremely successful and just because they have um, more success doesn't mean that everybody else has less. So I don't think it's completely zero sum, but yeah, definitely I think we need to watch out for our people more. And 
we're seeing in COVID, I think we also got another big wake up call that the people who are the most important are not the people who are the most paid, you know, not always. Sure. And oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that it would be great if we recognize that more. And I think, yeah, yeah, poker has a lot of lessons because it's just like a revved up version of capitalism. And so it teaches us about money, teaches us about what we desire and what we fear. And uh, it teaches us not only about ourselves, but like about the world we live in, even if we didn't get to go to like a fancy business school. I think poker can just teach you so much. Yeah. I mean, I saw your, um, your little video with Lynn where you, um, you you had the waitress gamble for her tip. Yeah. And and she lost, which is very sad. I don't know why I thought of that, except that like you were trying to teach her a lesson about expected value. And, and she was like, expected value. That's just like the new crypto. It's a scam. <laughs> I mean, kind of true in some ways. I mean, like, it's not that bad of an, an analogy. It's, it's better than crypto. You'll actually get it. You'll actually get the money at some point. So it's much better. Uh, that crypto is, yeah, who knows if you get it, there's all these promises that are in outer space. So I wonder if it can be shown what an important step in the middle of all this, uh, and maybe you have some insight in this, I don't know, but to use game theory somehow to show that poker emulates a real world economy in some kind of ways, because like, yeah. you can know, you can draw yeah. all kinds of parallels, but like, do they actually line up? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Because it could also be like the, the, the correlation could be different than what I think. It could be that like people are getting richer because in the, the super high rollers exist because there are more billionaires in the world and they want to play poker and they want to play the super high rollers. So the, the cause and effect might not be exactly what I think it is. You'd have to put a lot more research and smart people into thinking about it. And I, I'm actually interested in that. I think there should be more research in poker. To kind of see like how it models financial markets and whether we can learn things from it. I, I, it's funny. I think there's some, but in chess there's a lot of research, really? mostly related to like cognition and education. Really? Yeah, like they use chess players' minds to kind of figure out like the brain a lot. Oh. I feel like there's not as much in poker, and maybe maybe there, that could be useful. That yeah, that but could it, be useful just because it's a much different way of thinking. Um, there's actually a couple really good topics that I really want to. Uh, brush up on but we'll see um if we have enough time i don't know if we do but uh, firstly do you want to call out any kinds of people that are under underrepresented uh, underrepresented a little bit of social justice here on the channel that people that are very valuable and don't get paid enough oh yeah oh yeah definitely well i think one thing is that people should buy more books by women read um, more books by people of color and by women and listen to more podcasts. Cause I think that a lot of people say that they are, cause I have two podcasts, right? One is all women guests and one is like women and men. But I do notice that it feels like people are not as interested in reading or watching about things about women. So I think you, you gotta like really try to open your perspective. Like, and, and, you know, I got, I got banned actually by another famous podcaster, Dan, I got banned on Twitter by Lex Friedman. What? Because Lex read because he wrote his his reading list and I was like you should put more women in it and he he just like straight up blocked me forever. That's so, so weird. Um, Why would he do that? I know. That's so weird. I, that's weird. I, I'm really it is weird. It is very it's very sensitive. It's very shall I, how do I say it? Triggered? Triggered? Yeah, that's pretty triggered. Very triggered. That's like that, I did not expect that one at all. 
so yeah, uh, that, that, that's what I think. I feel like a lot of the poker players, they mention like the same like 10 books that they're reading and they're, pro- they're all like really good books, like Sapiens or I love that book. I loved Range that you mentioned earlier. I love Thinking Fast and Slow. I got to meet Danny Kahneman recently at an event. I love these types of books, but but what about books by women? You know, it's it's like uh, it's. I think we just need to to um, to encourage people to do that. And in terms of people, specific people that are underpaid, I don't know. What, what, who are you thinking? Thinking about like specific people? Well, it happens all the time, but I yeah. don't know at the moment, and we have too many topics. I do know of an author whose books I recently bought. I have all kinds of crazy books. But uh, one uh, was very uh, uh, interesting that seemed really interesting was Vanessa Edwards. Oh, there's actually a book that I have been reading about listening. Because uh, you can probably relate to this. It's like guys are bad listeners, right? Um, yeah, I guess. That no? sounds, I mean, they, Am I wrong? they tend to talk more. They tend to talk more than women. Um, but yeah, listening is like such a great skill for sure. I mean, if you listen well you are perceived as extremely charming and intelligent i think so it's really it's really awesome to work on that skill i went on a date recently and i was told basically to talk about myself more i'm like what the fuck? <laughs> um but anyway you can't win i'm trying to find this book um i mean there's a book where a woman uh co-authored that i read recently that's very good uh uh, Attached is very good. Uh, I heard this one, You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy. I thought that was a very good book. Um, Vanessa Edwards wrote some books on uh, socializing that looked really good, but I haven't read them yet. Um, yeah. But those are uh, a few that I've thought of. They're certainly, like, why can't a woman write a good book? Like, of course they can. But anyway, let's talk about... Um, first of all, I know that you hula hoop, but you gave me an idea with your hula hooping. Where is it? I have a problem. Oh, here it is. Check this out. It's jump rope. Oh, great! So you're gonna end the you're gonna end the interview by actually getting some some jumps in. I, I can't jump here. I'll like uh, I'll end it with a, a crash. But you gave me an idea. Maybe this could be a thing if somehow you could like not sweat while playing poker, but like it could be possible to jump rope and play poker. Uh, because I know that you hula hooped and you played like a bunch of people at chess at the same time, which uh, you know seems like kind of a tough thing to do. It's like not. A- oh, I love hula hooping. My friend, who's an artist, like got me into it. It's beautiful, and, I, and jump ropes kind of scare me. I mean, it's already been like six years since I've had a baby. But pro tip: if you ever want to give a really evil prank gift to a some a woman who just had a baby, a jump rope, <laughs> send her a jump rope. <laughs> That's like the worst thing you can get a new mom. Don't do it. What's a Don't good do it. Unless you think she'll, unless you think she'll get a laugh out of it. No, it's too, it's too far away. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. But what would be a good gift for like a newly? This is a common gift situation. What, what's a good gift? Oh, I think uh, baby blankets are great. I mean, it's kind of boring, but I, I noise machines, baby blankets. Like, there's so many good things. You know, there's so many things that you can buy. So sometimes they're not going to use them, but if they do use them, it's going to be worth like 10x. That's the funny thing about like baby gifts. Like you might get them this blanket that they just don't use. This is expected value, right? Like 50% of the time they don't use it, but the 50% of the time they use it, it's worth like, you know, 10 times what you paid for it because it's like a godsend. So <laughs> that, that's a good way to think about like hmm. gifts for like children and newborns. 
Evie of gifts could be an interesting subject. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think it's it's it, it is easy to do well. I think with babies and kids because moms try moms and dads try so many different things and like they're kind of looking for what's gonna work. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. But what was the gift the best gift that you ever got? The best gift? Not that jump rope, right? No, not that jump rope. The best gift I ever got. I mean, I got like a watch once. I mean, that was, oh, that's a pretty good gift. Yeah, I got a Rolex. I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, like, whoa, that's a that's an intense gift. Was that from somebody who was like trying to get into a private game, or that was like just like a good friend gift? It was more like someone who I, I it was one of my one of my students. They ended up becoming oh, rich, okay, yeah. uh, and they were like, you know, they had you quite success, that. and I was like, whoa, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like that, like. Even though I'm not a watch wearer, really, it was like, whoa, okay, this is like a really nice gift. I do have one more subject if you have time for you. It's, has poker and chess helped you become a better mother? Are there ways in which it has helped with that? Well, that's a great question. Man, I love that. I think so, because first of all, it's given me a little bit more freedom, I suppose, so I could take more time off and be a little bit more flexible sometimes, which is really useful. Uh, and also to uh, think about the um, things about thinking about things in like long-term way. I think it, it's really useful. So not just thinking about like my son does like chess now, not thinking about whether he's like winning or losing about, but about like how much fun he's having and whether he's emotionally enjoying it. It sounds weird because you think that like the parents who don't like games would think that way, but being a games player myself, you know, it's all about longevity. The longer you're in something, you're going to succeed eventually. Like, what do they say? Half of success is just showing up. Mm -hmm. So if you keep showing up over and over and over again, you're going to win. So you got to make sure that whatever your kid's interested in, they keep showing up. So I think that games have definitely taught me that, that it's about like this long-term uh, okay. effort. So to try yeah. to get them to play games, perhaps, or pick games that they actually enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed one thing about Bobby is that... Um, He's really good in, I think, and I hope he gets it from me as well as my husband, um, but he seems like he's good at the flow state thing. And it, that's such a delight to see because I think that's what I was always good with at chess. Even if I didn't know as much chess as my opponent, when I played, I would be just so absorbed and really just like giving it my all, um, which would sometimes make up for like less knowledge. And I already see that in my son, and it's like I'm starting to already think about activities. Even if he doesn't like chess, what other skills would be good for him that that skill, I mean, what other activities would that be good for him that uh, that skill rewards? I mean, that seems like would be it would be very helpful in helping devise like a career path kind of situation or anchoring towards a career path, potentially. Yeah. Or if he's really interested in, in chess, like why not? Maybe you could like... I mean, I remember Range talked about, like, grooming their kids for chess, and they succeeded somehow. Mm, yeah, I think you have to go really, really um, intense on that. I would kind of let him see if, like, where the wind takes him, but I'm assuming that that's, like, a less likely possibility. Because, honestly, a lot of the kids who become prodigies now, they don't even go to real school. They get homeschooled or something just because the chess and the travel has to become so core if you want to become like a world champion. Now, I believe Magnus did go to real school, but a lot of the top prodigies at some point drop out and do homeschooling and whatnot. And you know, that, that has its pros and cons. Maybe you're more likely to become a great champion, but 
uh, if it doesn't work out, there's like that risk, I think, that the kid could regret it. So oh, pretty yeah. complicated. Yeah. Well, I think you're but, um, Go ahead. Go ahead. I said, I think I we have a lot of parents and we have a lot of stories that we can kind of try to learn from, uh, whether it's sports or chess, we have, we have a lot of experiences that we can kind of like read about and think about like, what is going to work for my kid? Well, one thing related to that, and this is a big question that's been going on in educational and, uh, or big subject for children's education, very complicated subject that you alluded to is that a, um, it looks like a better schooling is essentially to let the kid kind of like figuring out, figure out for their own rather than create too many like linear boundaries. Um, yeah. Because like wherever the wind takes them can like combine all sorts of, uh, it can, they can learn in their own kind of way because knowledge is not something that's exactly confined in a box. That's when things get dangerous as you alluded to. Um, when, mm. uh, it seems like yeah. that's the case. Yeah, I agree with I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right that we need to like basically let the the brain flourish. I think that people are so kids are so smart and it's about not labeling them and not telling them that they're bad at things and seeing what they end up flourishing in. Uh, and you know, just to close out, one other thing that I wrote about actually in the uh, Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. that helped me with in parenting was uh, being grateful. For yeah. being so successful right away and having I my husband and I tried to have a kid and we had a kid right away with Fabian and then we really struggled having a second one um, and this is a more common problem these days they call it secondary infertility and it really reminded me of poker because it reminded me of somebody who like wins their first poker tournament and then like expects to win it again but like you know <laughs> you know like why am I not winning like the second tournament right away and I think that understanding of like um, fortune and the gratitude for when things go right and also understanding that it might not be the world out to get you when things don't go right but just the random nature of the universe so yeah I think that's a great way to close it but that is definitely something that pokers helped me with and helped me be um, at peace with that yeah well it's been great talking Jennifer uh, and uh, great learning about you and learning your perspective uh, I'm sure we'll meet again and uh... Good luck with, um, you know, all your books and whatever else, whatever other kinds of accomplishments you're doing, your podcasts, uh, you name it, uh, being formalizing the chess, uh, chess grandmaster thing as well, becoming the, uh, I mean, it, it makes sure, making sure everyone knows that you're a grandmaster. So it's not even like a, a debate and, uh, yeah, see you in the future and motherhood, of course, motherhood, big one. Yeah, thank you so much.